0: Welcome to another episode of Talks with Terry. Once again, I am Terry, and today we are going to wrap up our discussion about education that we had a couple of weeks ago, so we're going to get to that. Uh, Today we're going to be going over sort of some of the uh, ways that we can fix what we've done with uh, our education system and make it better for future students. Now, I also want to give a big thanks to uh, one... Diane Ravitch, who uh, has studied education, and she wrote this amazing uh, Time Magazine article that guided a lot of this material, sort of uh, going over the history of how we got to this point and um, how we can go about fixing it. So, now in the first episode of this little series, I talked about some of the problems and pet peeves that I observed about the American education system. This week, I actually decided to use what I learned from my time in school to do a little bit of research and write out my thoughts instead of just blindly ranting. So hopefully this episode comes across as a bit more put together and we can actually learn a thing or two. It also helps my arguments uh, if I have some general, you know, stats and observations and facts instead of just ranting. So let's get to it. Now, we talked about how the education system uh, really lacked in places like effectiveness and morality in some ways last time, like how bullying is still a huge issue, even with all the anti bullying messages we've been producing. Not to mention the amount of stress that goes into learning lessons and subjects that don't immediately pertain to our lives, like advanced calculus and biology. So, in order to gain a better understanding of how we got this way, uh let's think back to the beginning of education in america and sort of work our way up to where we are now now condensing centuries of american education history in a few lines or a few paragraphs really uh schools originally were set up to teach kids how to be more social and to have proper etiquette things like reading writing and arithmetic was largely taught at home until the education system in the colonies grew over the years In the 20th century, educators and progressives were looking to change the school system, allowing for uh, more schools to be built and more students to be served. Now, two factions seemed to emerge during this time. One sought to switch to a more bureaucratic system, allowing for the school system to become, quote, non-politicized, while making it easier for educators to manage the growing number of institutions, especially in urban areas. Now, traditionalists believed that this system, quote, suppressed the upward aspirations of the working class, end quote. Social elites led the reforms with the goal of, quote, permanently ending political party control, of the local schools for the benefit of patronage jobs and construction contracts, which had arisen out of ward politics that absorbed and taught the millions of new immigrants. Schools basically changed a lot by adding more schools, creating high schools and junior high schools, and then teaching sets of skills that were designed to be consistent with national needs. So skipping ahead, our modern schooling is the product of many different federal education initiatives, such as George Bush's No Child Left Behind, Bill Gates' sort of common core state standards being implemented, Barack Obama's Race to the Top initiative, and then Donald Trump's push for more choice in schools. Um, so this is where uh, we take a lot from Diane uh, Radvich's Time article about how things have turned out. So according to her, modern education reforms began to rely on the business idea that uh, disruption is a positive good. So in short, instead of focusing more on increased funding, better teachers and resources, desegregation, etc., we instead focus more on standardized testing and competition, as well as punishment for poor performance. To almost no one's surprise nowadays, negative reinforcement and running school like a business is not a great idea at all. Turns out, awarding the schools with the highest test scores does not make our kids smarter. All it does is waste time, money, and disproportionately affect schools in low-income areas. Obama expanded on this idea later. Uh, and trump's head of education betsy devoe expanded the idea of school choice focusing on giving more funding to private charter schools and offering uh, vouchers to go towards religious schools so billions were given to the private education industry and when i say private education industry i also mean just the private companies that deal a lot in education like pearson and mcgraw hill Um, They got billions of dollars for things like testing resources. And the whole of our education was basically dictated by their resources because they were able to provide them for us and we needed them. Uh, And education was seemingly focused around doing well on tests, mainly standardized tests. I still remember having to sit and take the uh, Illinois State Aptitude Test or the ISAT every year and dreading the experience. No one liked doing the ISAT. The only benefit was that sometimes classes were restructured differently, so, you know, it was there was a bit more free time or whatever, and you didn't have homework often because you were too busy focusing on the ISAT. Um, but testing and scores had to have gotten better with all these changes, right? Well, according to the National Assessment of Educational Progress, which is which has been said to be the nation's report card multiple times, uh, it says that test scores have been stagnant for the past decade. They really haven't risen uh, significantly at all. Uh, they've kind of remained the same, and honestly, the lowest ranked students just got worse with the system. So we haven't changed in the international rankings at all. We like to say we're, you know, America's number one, but we're not in any facet of education whatsoever. We haven't changed in those rankings. Charter schools aren't proving to be any better than public schools, and voucher schools have been shown to employ untrained and unreliable teachers that mix facts with religious ideology. It's not a bad idea to have... A religious school or a school that is founded uh, around a religion like say your typical catholic school or whatever but when you're tying in religious beliefs to things like science and history it can get a little murky and biased and so it's not a great look um, not to mention that a number of these private charter schools have suddenly closed down in the middle of school years Uh, due to things like poor planning, bad funding, honestly, illegal activity in some sorts. Um, And then when these schools close down, they have to halt the education for all the students that are there. And they have to either find a new school to go with or reintegrate back into the public system. And they lose valuable learning time and development from these changes. So the grades aren't better. The students are getting worse. Not to mention all of the mental and emotional stress that comes from simply existing in the modern world and being a modern student, and let's be honest, going through turbulent times like puberty where you're already kind of messed up in the head. Um, But the money is also being wasted and we have really nothing to show for it. So if this were business, I'm sure we'd be more than bankrupt by now. So really, How do we fix everything how do we improve test scores and make learning fun again while also addressing the host of other issues like overworked students bullying stress and trauma nutrition access to better opportunities etc etc the simplest answer that no one really wants to hear but honestly solves a lot of systemic issues not just in education but all around the country is simply this. Give people more money and support. I I know I, I tricked you into listening for 10 minutes uh, to more communist propaganda, right? But honestly, it's not as bad as you think it is. First of all, as far as like socialism and stuff goes, we have plenty of socialism already in just how bits of our country work, such as, you know, Um, social security, roads, the postal service, even the military, to be honest. Uh, But anyway, honestly, it's not as bad as you think it is when it comes to giving more money and support to education and to schools. So instead of only giving money to the best schools, you should give it to every school, or better yet, give it to the schools that are performing poorly. They're struggling. Giving more money and support allow schools to get better resources and materials, they get better access to teachers who truly love to teach. Not only that, it really reinvigorates a lot of these teachers when not only they can actually make a living doing the job that they love. Uh, not only that, it can lead to positive changes for all the students. You know if you don't want to give money to schools directly well you can still fix a lot of these problems by just financially supporting people and giving them access to things like affordable housing free health care better nutrition and allowing themselves to lift out of poverty i've never met anyone who chose to live in poverty most people just need the helping hand to get them out of a tight spot you take The financial burdens off of the families, you then reduce things like mental and emotional burdens off of them. Everyone uh, is more happier and more wealthy, not just financially, but emotionally, physically, mentally. Things like bullying gets reduced because you're not having uh, kids being born into messed up houses and, you know, creating this inherent genetic, almost genetic vibe of the have and the have nots fighting against each other. Everyone can get access to better education so that things like poverty, uh, don't come as easily because if you're properly educated about stuff, then you're less likely to, you know, make these bad decisions that put you into poverty in the first place. Um, and the property taxes might even allow for more school funding. From what I understand, a lot of uh, school funding or local funding at least comes from the property taxes and the property values of the surrounding area. And so, you know, if you take my old high school, for example, we were in a pretty middle to upper middle class um, area and so we had a we had a really big high school, and we could do things like give all of the teachers, you know, interactive smart boards that corrected to you know these high end um, these high end overhead projectors. You know, we could fund things like uh, sports teams that you know made it to state uh, multiple times, or you know. You could give the marching band program their own semi-truck so that they can haul all of their equipment uh, to anywhere they needed to be. So, but if you look at something like an inner city school in like, I don't know, let's say St. Louis, if you go to a neighborhood that is, you know, has a lot more people in low-income housing or close to, you know, close or below the poverty line and then you put a school next to them that school probably isn't going to look the same as the school I came out of. It's probably going to have less resources uh, it's probably going to have things that are really outdated um, and you're really not going to hear much about things like their sports programs or their band programs because they're just not in the same system and they can't afford to bring themselves to the same system so you know giving more money to people and increasing their their way of life and thus bringing up the property values of some places, then you could give more money to the education system and, you know, you can reap the benefits of it later. You can also do away with this system of property tax funding schools, but, you know, let's stick to one radical idea at a time. So every school also needs more support and more freedom to better serve their students. Counselors need flexibility and training to help address some of the problems that students come up with, especially with the rise of things like anxiety, depression, and other serious issues uh, within kids these days. So you need to staff counselors who know what they're talking about, know how to deal with students, and give them the, the freedom and the leeway to really meet with students, address their, their needs and their issues, and help them work through it Um, so that that's another resource and another confidant that a student can go through to handle things like, you know, early mental illness or childhood trauma or anything of the sort. Um, Nurses, I think, should also be uh, a bit more supported. I think they should be more well-trained. Not that nurses aren't, you know, aren't like just random people that you pluck off the street and say, hey, you're a nurse now for our school. Um, But not only should they have better training, I think they should have a greater variety of resources to help students uh, in need. Honestly, I think just because we're afraid of what a certain student can or cannot uh, have in terms of treatment for something, we limit our nurses to what they can and can't do. And so if a kid comes into the nurse's office with a seriously bad headache and they can't focus, you're telling me their only option is to either lay down in the nervous's office till they feel better or call home to be taken out of school for the rest of the day? Uh, I mean, why not just, you know, I understand there are safety precautions that need to be taken, but it's not really helpful to the sick kids. You could... I remember, I remember being in that same position. It's like, all right, I have this splitting headache and yeah, I really need to see the nurse about it. And I go to the nurse and I'm like, can you give me anything for it? And it's like, well, you can either lay down or we can call home. And I'm like, well, don't you just have like a painkiller, like Tylenol or something for me to take? Cause that's what I take at home and it works just fine. And they're like, no, we can't do that. You have to, provide the pills yourself with like your parents permission or a doctor's note and then we hold it on for you and then we can give it to you later and it's like well that doesn't help me now I didn't think I'd I'd be in this you know situation I understand nurses are mainly there for like first aid and making sure child just doesn't straight up die before any real help can be done to them but I still think there's a lot more that we can do uh, with our nurses give them more leeway and resources to really help out um, the seriously sick kids, especially if a kid ends up having like a chronic illness or something. That's just, you know, it's, it's a shame that we, you know, train these kids to basically say, uh, you're sick, well, you can either go home and fall behind or you can just suck it up and stay here. And that's not good from a health perspective or a mental perspective, anything like that. Um, Now, here's another big thing that we really need to talk about. Pay teachers more money. I don't care if they get the summer and the holiday breaks off. They're still professionals that have taken it upon themselves to look after your little gremlins and make sure they can learn to be better human beings and how do you repay them well you cut their pay you raise the number of students per class that they must teach and then force them to teach in ways that are completely out of touch with themselves and students um that's not even getting to things like gun control, where like you gotta arm the teachers and now congratulations teacher you are responsible for arming yourself and protecting our child from the school shooters that we are not addressing, but that is another topic for another day. Anyway, give the teachers more support and let them run their classrooms how they see fit. Also, let them write their own tests, because apparently I didn't realize this until reading this article. They had done that for generations before, and it does work a bit better than having singular tests that one must adhere to. We've all seen it. There are some teachers that are really good at their job, some teachers that are not really good at their job. And one of the issues that both of them can agree on is that they have to teach a certain way because that's what the rest of the faculty does. Uh, You know, and also it can help against stuff like cheating as well because it's really hard to cheat on, you know, the biology test if the Teachers write their own biology tests, and so it's like you can't just give the kid the answers to the same test because it's not like the rest of the faculty are using them. Instead, you're basically going to have to encourage people to study together, and that is a good habit to have, especially if they're making their way to college. So yes, give them to that. Also, pay teachers more because, guess what? There are a lot of teachers out there, and honestly, a lot of professions— but especially teachers who have to take second jobs to survive and that's not that's not a great way to that any of this should work i know what i but what i said before i know that they get summer breaks off and the other breaks for you know the for the rest of the kids but doesn't mean their lives are easier some of them have lives of their own they have their own wives their own families their own kids to look after on top of the 30 plus kids that you give them to look after you don't pay them enough and now it's like well I got to spend my free time with a second job in order to help make ends meet instead of I don't know giving them a wage in which they can handle it and guess what then that takes another strain off of their shoulders and they can focus more on doing their current job of being a teacher better. They teach the kids better and we get better results in education. Boom, it's that simple. So that also leads to this next idea, reduce the class sizes, seriously. We don't pay the teachers enough and then we take on more and more kids and say, all right, I know last year you had like 20 kids in your class. Now you got 35. Deal with that. That's a lot more tests that they have to grade. That's a lot more assignments they have to give out. That's a lot more heads that they have to count and be in charge of. And what happens is that, you know, the bigger the classes are, the harder it is for a singular student's needs to be met, you know, especially if you don't really have a whole lot of free time as both a teacher and a student to address singular students needs so you lower the class sizes it takes more stress off the teacher and it gives the teacher time to really engage more with a smaller class of students thus making the learning process better for classes in general that's what you see a lot at the college level whereas yes there are professors that have to speak in in front of an entire lecture hall of a hundred plus students however there are also those professors that they take a class that's only 20 students and you can actually sit in those classes and have really well back and forth and that's where, you make, that's where you make better friends with your classmates and better friends with your professor and that's what makes the learning process more enjoyable. Hell, some of my most best memories of actually being in class and sitting in class... It was from a room of like less than 20 people. We were all on. We were all English majors, or at least in the same English class. We all got to know each other, know each other pretty well, and we got to really, you know, share our thoughts on a lot of stuff. And it was a great experience. So reducing class sizes, I think it's a benefit on a whole, whole different scale. So, but now, what about the work itself? We talked a lot last week about the problems with what we are being taught and how it's being taught so i think we need to bring together a bunch of experts in education and teaching as well as you know respected members of each field of study like science and math and english to determine how to better teach our students about these subjects because you know if you're a college professor and you're saying, well, it's a shame that all of you kids are coming here without knowledge of this particular subject because I'm going to have to bring you up to speed on that just so we can actually get into what I want to get into, then again, that's wasting time and it's not as effective. So ideally, we would give students more control over what they can learn later in their lives as well. Now again, if you're in kindergarten or you know elementary school, it's fine not giving your kids a choice about what they can learn and what they cannot because you're still just trying to develop them into being a well-rounded individual. But once you get into like the later years of middle school and especially in high school, giving people more flexibility with what they can learn can, I think, can definitely go a long way. So once you get into high school, having more freedom to choose whether you want to learn advanced mathematics to prepare yourself for college or your future career or you can just have an old-fashioned home economics class and to allow students to better learn daily tasks and chores to help you know better shape themselves and take initiative into what they learn if you know I wish I had I had taken something like a home economics class to learn how to cook for myself how to you know iron clothes and you know, take care of myself and just the, the day-to-day habits. And you're saying, well, parents should be teaching you that. My parents do teach me that when they have the time. But these days, you have a lot of households where both parents work. And so they don't have the time to teach you that. Um, so I think it's important to have those kinds of classes to teach those sort of life skills that you can take anywhere, not just into a college, you know, a college lecture hall. So also just, again, giving kids the choice about what they can learn, then they've made that choice and they're more likely to try hard to do it. You know, I kind of just took in high school, I took uh, PC maintenance and repair because I needed an elective class that was only like a quarter or something, not too long at all. And one of those was a PC maintenance and repair class. I don't really care about computers a whole lot. I love to play on them, but I don't, you know, I don't care about coding. I don't care about the nuts and bolts that goes into fixing computers. If I have a computer that is broken, I will send it to someone who is in IT or at Best Buy or something it's like you guys have the knowledge to fix this better than I can. But I took that class and I actually had a fun time. The teacher was great. The class was small. Everyone in there was super chill. And, you know, after tinkering around with some old computers that we've had since, you know, the 90s and seeing how all the parts work, it was like, all right, I guess I'll just chill and surf the Internet for a bit. That's all it was. It was a chill class. And, you know, as far as the tests and everything go, I did do my best to, you know, not get a grade and take it seriously and actually participate because I chose to be in that class. If you give students a choice, then they're more likely to take that class seriously because they chose this path. And so it's better than just sticking them into a class and say, you have to take this. And it's like, all right, well, then I'm going to pass with the lowest I can just to pass it and then be done with it just so I can check another thing off my to-do list. It's a good thing to give people more choice when it comes to, you know, what classes they take. It'll keep them from, you know, falling asleep in their literature classes. So if a band student is required to participate in marching band, they also really don't need to take physical education either. This this is an idea I have just around restructuring the requirements because in college you get a lot of this too. In college it's like, well, you need a credit for your communications degree and in order to get that credit you must take any of these communication classes at the 2000 level. So for me to get a communications degree, obviously I had to start out with some gen eds of like, Here's the intro course into what communications is. But the next, it was like, well, do you want to take video production or do you want to take digital storytelling? Do you want to take journalism or do you want to take something else? Do you want to take advertising or do you want to focus more on uh, a different sort of marketing background? There was more diversity there and I was able to pick what I wanted and that sort of helped me plot my path. And I got, and I would get to a class, and oftentimes the class was great, and I was glad I made the decision. But ultimately, I worked harder in those classes because it's like, well, I decided that I wanted to do this class, and so I'm going to do this class. You know, I did a lot of work to try and get into that digital storytelling class my senior year, uh, because. I want, I really, really wanted to take that class. I thought I was going to learn a lot of amazing skills from it. I didn't want to have to do this stupid little prerequisite lab that came before it. And I wanted to make sure that by the time I graduated, I could also get my minor in communications and it all worked out. And, you know, I did the best that I could with that class. And that's kind of the reason that I started doing podcasting is because I had to, uh, learn how to, you know, mess with audio and record and stuff. So again, just changing up sort of the, the choice, giving students more choice in the, what they can have and also changing up sort of how our, how our system is, I think can, can really help. So again, If a band student is required to participate in a marching band, they really don't need to take a physical education course. They get plenty of physical activity as it is in their physical education course. It may not seem like it to people who are not, you know, privy to marching band life, but being in the marching band is actually a lot of work and a lot of physical exercise as well as, you know, mental for having to play an instrument while you are marching. Um... So I think diversification and streamlining of curriculum with the addition of choice has the potential to reignite uh, the passion of learning that many modern kids and students and even teachers are lacking when it comes to school. So changing the curriculum also gives us an opportunity to ditch outdated lesson plans that are full of inaccurate or discriminatory information. I think the summer of 2020 has brought us a many awful things, but one of the great things that brought us, especially someone like me, it brought a wave of content from communities like the African-American community that outlined how the lessons that we are taught in school are misleading or inaccurate, usually to the detriment of marginalized populations and beliefs. Hell, my class had to live through the change of teachings about christopher columbus one year we had columbus day off and the next year we didn't because it came out that um he we saw him go from a brave explorer that discovered america to a homicidal maniac that enslaved and slaughtered native tribes in the caribbean So it's a really good idea to change up this curriculum to learn the truth and the facts about stuff instead of all this outdated things that, you know, really got twisted throughout history. Also, make sure we add classes that teach important stuff that we have to deal with every day. I was technically required to spend years of instruction learning about the ins and outs of different studies of mathematics and science. But my district only required one semester of consumer's education, which is meant to teach students about the importance of things like money, savings, investing, and financial literacy. Now, you'd think that that would be more prevalent in my schooling since things like money and savings, investing, and financial liter- literacy in general are very important in these modern times, but you'd be wrong. Apparently, our priorities are more towards things like advanced algebra and trigonometry. Now, we could go into a whole side rant about the conspiracy that rich people in power don't want us to be educated about how to better handle our money or how to think critically so that they can more easily control us, but we don't have time for that pot of tea today. Anyway, the point is that the way we are educating our younger selves these days is widely ineffective and wasteful. It drains and destroys teachers and students, leaving both with deep-rooted trauma and PTSD that they have to carry with themselves for the rest of their lives. Kids are left to fend for themselves, resulting in segregation from others or learning how to tolerate one another or not learning how to tolerate one another. It all stems from us not supporting the social systems that help people the most. By building from the bottom up, we can improve the lives of many struggling Americans. One of the many side effects of this treatment is that schooling can get better. Our children will want to learn more about the world. They'll become smarter, and we will finally find ourselves scoring higher on those international education lists. We like to say that America's number one in everything But we aren't putting into work to make it a reality. So, I think that's about all we can say for education in, you know, a couple of episodes over a couple of weeks. So, yeah, I think that'll do it for the series. Once again, I want to say a big thank you to um, Diane Ravitch uh, and Time Magazine for that wonderful article that gave me a lot of these facts. Also, to everyone's favorite source, Wikipedia, uh, for giving me that uh, amazing history on just public education and private education in uh, early America. A lot of amazing tidbits there. So I hope you all enjoyed this, and I hope you got a lot to think about and were able to, you know, vent some frustrations with me about just how education works in this country and how it kind of sucks and we need to make things better And, you know, I could do a whole side series about um, just college stuff that a lot of people have gripes with, from increasing tuition rates and uh, just the way the curriculum is set out and things like that. But going back to some of the takeaways, support people who really need it, especially the people in poverty and low-income areas. Support the social... Uh, structures that can help these people such as giving them access to better housing free health care uh, and you know all they need to survive and you know uh, have that right to uh life liberty and pursuit of happiness that we love to tout about in our uh, modern system uh, but yeah I think that will um, do it uh, for this, series for this episode. So thank you all so much for listening. Once again, if you enjoyed this uh, and you want to give me your thoughts or you want to give me some other topics that you'd like to hear from me, feel free to reach out to me. I am at Real Terry Clark on Twitter. I'm not very active, but the more of you that interact with me, the more I will be. Uh, and you could also get, get to me directly through Gmail at uh, Terry at gmail.com. And I will be happy to, uh, talk with you guys and get back to you and, uh, you know, maybe bounce off some amazing ideas with you. If there's anything I missed, also feel free to let me know about that because, uh, I'm actually very passionate about education, uh, in a way that, um, I am a survivor of education of our educational system, and I think education is very important. But I don't want future students to have to go through all of these shitty things that we put them through in regards to um, our education system. And so that's why I want to see a lot of you know positive changes in the lives of everybody, but especially in students, because I think that's what's going to make us uh, a stronger nation, just in general. Um, But anyway, that's my spiel for this week. So thank you all for listening to Talks with Terry. Once again, I am Terry, and I will catch you guys on the next episode. And if I don't, happy holidays, ladies and gentlemen.